you're not alone going through these hard times by yourself. You've got someone to talk to, you've got an ear, you've got a sounding board, you've got a shoulder to cry and you've got all those things if you need them. I find there are two types of confidence. You have the kind of sugary high confidence, the facade, and then you have the real confidence. Being really transparent with your team and getting them, you know, really aligned about that. From CMC Markets, this is The Artful Trader. And there are lots of opportunities. 100-point swing on the Dow. So I needed to have success for me to stop believing. A lot of people don't make successful trades because they're fearful. They don't know enough or they think they don't know enough. Hello and welcome to The Artful Trader. I'm Michael McCarthy, Chief Market Strategist at CMC Markets Asia Pacific. In our third season, we talk to the experts in their own fields to uncover what gives them the confidence to succeed. We uncover confidence, unlocking the secrets behind resilience, preparation and growth, and how it can make you a better trader. Tim Fung is the founder and CEO of Airtasker, a now global business that has disrupted apathy by creating a new economy, the gig marketplace. Oleg Vornik is the founder and CEO of Drone Shield. Listed on the ASX, Oleg has disrupted the world of drone security to serve and protect this ever-changing global landscape. Drew Bilby is the co-founder and CEO of Nextbar. Drew is one of two Aussie boys that has disrupted the beverage industry by creating a naturally sugar-free solution, putting beverage juggernauts like Coca-Cola on notice. In this second part of our Disruptor special, we've got our three CEOs in conversation, unpacking their own confidence and how it's changed over the years. We'll talk about how successfully disrupting an industry requires resilience and hear what they wish they knew back at the beginning of their startup journey. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us today. What we're particularly looking at uncovering is all three of you are trying something very new. In business terms, you're brave. And what our listeners would like to know is what are the qualities that got you into this space and what does disrupting an industry, an action or disruptors require? What do you think, Drew? Look, I think, you know, when you're embarking on something new, there's different attributes you need at different points in time. And I'll use my example as an example. Going to this, I was very naive in the FMCG space. I had no idea um, what it took to put a beverage company together or go in and sell a product, um, you know, with my background in civil engineering. So, you know, some would call that confidence. Others would call that foolishness. Um, but there's parts of, you know, each of those attributes that you need to make a successful company. Ollie? Look, I think I agree with that. There is really no such concept as there are all-knowing experts out there and, you know, you're new and you get in and, uh, you know, there's no way you can beat those guys. At the end of the day, a new idea is a project and it just comes down how well you just get organized and go about executing it. Tim, for you? Yeah, I think it's about knowing, like, um, the fundamentals of, uh, of what you're building and being excited about the value that you're creating. And I think if you... If you have that, then you can kind of get out of bed every morning because you're really excited about that. And you go through a lot of tough times when you, you want to push through and, and, and get to where you want to go to. And that probably looks like bravery uh, on the outside. Okay, because I have heard, you know, the, the, the journey into the sort of ventures that, that you're all involved in describes a lot of people outside uh, this style of working. Uh, think of it as a planned process, everything's laid out and you start here and you know in 10 years time you'll be here. But somebody else described it to me as like getting on a sailing ship, heading away from land, knowing you might not see land for many days and dealing with the problems that come up. How much confidence do you have in the vision that you've created? 
So I think um, that's a really good uh, way of thinking of it. Is it actually is kind of like getting on a ship and, and sailing, uh, sailing west and looking for a new country because you kind of know that hey, there's probably something over there um, and it's probably awesome, but you don't really know what it is and you don't really know how to get there. And I think one of the things that people think is that like yeah, there's this planned process and we know exactly where we want to get to and we're just going to do this and. Um, I think the whole point of it is that you're, you're getting out there and you're exploring and you're actually kind of thinking of it from, uh, from a ground level and just building it up step by step by step. Was it the same for you, Ollie? Sure. I think if you continue to draw on the analogy, you are not going on a little dinghy. You are going in a ship, so you have a team with you and you draw off the other people and they draw off you. Uh, it's not necessarily just going through an open ocean. You see little islands on the way, so you arrive and, and that basically is a little milestone of what you achieved and then you move on and you just continue. Drew, what do you do when the storms start? I think you know, we're all disruptor brands, we're all challenger brands, um, and as a result of that, we're creating new things. So there's going to be so much uncertainty, there's going to be so many big storms. And it's part of, I guess, the, you know, the process you're going through about having the confidence to get to that next island or um, you know, in the storm and, and take shelter until you know, you know, build the strategy even better and you know where you're going a little bit more clearly. And how do you stop the crew from mutiny? Culture is the number one thing. You've got to create a culture of people that have the same passion that you have for the brand. Um, values are crucial. You know, you want to... You actually want to, you know, recruit your team based on your values and then look at skill set as incredibly important. But if the values aren't there, you know, they're not going to be right for the business. So um, if you have a, a crew which is as passionate and very similar values, you, you're more unlikely to get mutiny. <laughs> well, thank goodness for that, <laughs> eh? Tim, is it the same at Airtasker? Yeah, I think it's very much about um, culture and values and being able to get everyone aligned on the vision of what you're building. Um, one of the things that's fortunate in our business is that we have a very tangible value creation, which is like um, creating jobs for people. So our team really rallies behind that vision. I think definitely people bring their own flavor to the culture. So it's not all about um, everyone thinking exactly the same way. And in fact, you know that you don't want to have everyone thinking exactly the same way. Uh, but certainly there needs to be a common thread that everyone's driving. Uh, they towards. have to be believers. Yeah, you've got to get all the your vectors lined up towards. We want to go over there, and everyone's charging um, in the same direction. Uh, but definitely, you want different styles of uh, people and different kind of culture add to coming into the company. Right. So both of you are working in industries where you know there's a very clear human good. Yours challenge is different, uh, Oleg, in that you're disrupting uh, evil influences in this world. How do you keep the team together in that sort of scenario? I think. A lot of people um, have this excitement about being on a mission in the defense space. So defense on its own is a bit of an unusual industry. There's a bit of a cloak over it where people from the outside don't really understand that well as to how the industry works, what do people do. So I think what happens, a lot of people who are inside get driven by this mission to basically stop the bad guy. And um, the other thing is, Unlike a lot of defense companies who make things that kill people and create violence, we have this feel-good element where our products don't kill anybody, they don't create damage, but they basically take down drones, which are used for nefarious purposes. So there's this very strong feel-good element. One thing I find is different people are driven by different priorities in life, and you want to find people who are driven by similar priorities as basically you are in order to create the cohesion. So for some people, um, it's perfectly fine, for example, to have balanced life as your priority, but that's not 
necessarily the person you want in your new venture because there's only 24 hours in a day. And despite best management, if you want to look after all the other things you got going, you probably will not have enough focus and time to spend on the business. So you, you, you want to pick people who basically meet your mission requirements. Well, you all have established businesses and brands now, but I'd like to take you back to when you were first starting out. What was it that gave you the confidence you'd succeed? Um, you know, when I started an expert, I was 22, uh, 23, turned 23. My business partner was, was basically the same age, even a little bit younger. Um, you know, you, you, you do, as a, as a young person, have an incredible amount of passion. Um, you believe that you're bulletproof and you can do anything, um, yes. <laughs> which is which is a really important attribute to have when you're trying to take on Goliath in our industry, as we did with the multinationals of the Cokes and the Pepsis. Um, so I think you know that that passion was there, um, the belief in you know wanting to make a difference in people's lives and having an impact on diabetes and obesity, um, you know really believing in health and well-being, um, really drove us to to you know, develop this range of naturally sugar-free products. Um, so I think that that absolutely those things were, were crucial in the early stages when we first started the business of, of wanting to, to make it work and, and give it a crack. Like the belief in your cause. Yeah, belief in the cause and, and um, you know, that, that, that unwavering passion that you have when you're 22. Mm, absolutely. What gave you confidence, Tim? Well, I um, kind of uh, made my way down the chain in terms of like work, started working out in a place like Macquarie, which was, you know, obviously a big organization, then working in an established small business, then starting up a small business, but not being the founder of that uh, company and then um, starting Airtasker. So I guess it was good to kind of see how things are done at all those different levels. And, you know, you can build belief based on seeing it being uh, done before. I think it was also that combined with the fact that We'd actually tried to start another business before we started Airtasker and we'd had arguments in that business around the business model and and what we kind of learned is that it was like incredibly important to be able to understand like the fundamentals of the value that you're creating because if you have that then as I said before like I think you can just kind of like push through walls to, to make it happen. And Ollie what made you sure that drones weren't just a fad that was going to fade? Look, at the end of the day, you don't really know. I think there's a survivorship bias where people you're seeing around the table today are people who have at least to now succeeded. And I'm sure there are plenty of ventures and we all know that who fail. I think at the end of the day, you don't really know and you just try and you put your best foot forward and see what happens. I was fortunate enough to be raised in a very supportive family where I think for a lot of people, you're a bit less fortunate because they may not instill a sense of self-worth in their children. And I was quite fortunate that as I was a child growing up, and maybe the other guys can relate to that as well, uh, the parents were saying, you know, you can basically do anything you want with your life. Um, and then to Tim's comment, thing about working in, in places like big investment banks is that they're actually quite good as uh, catering to your ego, where they're basically saying, look, the reason you're here is that you're because the best of the best. Now, that may not be true, but it's very much a message that is being reinforced there. So, um, you know, with it comes a lot of arrogance when it's channeled in the wrong way. So we all know of the uh, banker stereotypes. But when channeled in the right way, I think it gives you that sense of inner confidence that, yes, you can have a go at everything. And then, of course, there is the general Australian uh, kind of approach culturally. Well, let's just have a go. Still thinking about those early days, with what you know now, what's the one thing that you would have told yourself then? 
look, my path was different, but that said, the company was quite small at the time. I remember for the first six months or so when I was working, I was paid, I think, about 100 bucks a day because the company really had no money. Uh, so so it is very much a startup, even though, you know, technically speaking, it was, you know, a, a more job situation rather than you are, you know, the very first employee. Um, look, a lot of it is just keep going as, as you're going. I think a lot of these things come to the people who you are with. And if you have trust in the people whom you are working, I was fortunate in that uh, one of the cornerstone investors in Drone Shield, I had a great relationship with, I had faith that if they believe that the business can succeed, then they can, uh, they can potentially see what you know, more than what I was seeing as well. Uh, so that kind of gives additional sense of confidence. So it's basically just bouncing off people around you and just kind of having faith in the mission that way. Right, a good team is a big part of it. Tim, what would you tell your founding self? Yeah, I would definitely um, say the same comment about investing into the people on the team. Um, I think one of the things is that when you start out, you hear a lot of like, um, you know, CEOs of other companies and they go, ah, oh, work on like motivation and culture and um, you know, when you're starting out, you're like, oh, all I care about is sales. Like, just get something <laughs> happening, you know. We're right. just going to build something and then, you know, get it get it going. Um, but I think in doing that, we probably didn't invest early enough into, like, how we thought about um, people operations, how we thought about um, the team. And, you know, I've got a list as long as my arm of, you know, hilarious stuff-ups, you know, which are hilarious, you know, seven years later. <laughs> were absolutely harrowing uh, at the time, but I would definitely have said, you know, invest into that, take it slower and invest in that because the payoff that you get on people is is 10x if you get it right. Right, okay. And what would you tell yourself? Yeah, I'd, I'd echo similar things. The only thing I would sort of add as well is just... Um, you know, team is incredibly important. Um, your, your business partners, obviously, I've got a business partner, incredibly important and supportive. Um, those things are, you have to get those right. They're, they're, they're critical to the success of the business. Um, one thing that we were really fortunate enough to, to have early on is a really good mentorship as well. So uh, our very first investor, actually, um, by the name of Peter Barron, um, he was he was an inventor. He invented the sipper straws. So the straws that you put into to milk and, and there's beads of chocolate and strawberry and you suck it out as a, as a little milkshake mm-hmm. kids product um, hugely successful but um, by tapping into him as a mentor he was able to kind of give us um, some real directional and anecdotal stories about what not to do um, oh. you know you know things like um, at, in the early stage particularly how, how to run the business on a bit of an oily rag which you have to do um, you know bits and pieces around um you know how to who to focus on your first employees when you're hiring. So those those um, pieces of advice that mentors can provide was absolutely crucial. And I think one of the reasons why we're still operating today is just getting that advice from from people that have been there and done that and just really experienced people. Right. What's been more important in your journey, confidence or resilience? Um, I reckon resilience. To be honest, you, you, you confidence can is a facade. Sometimes you know it, it can you can wear thin. And you can lose it. Um, it's not something which is always going to be there. Resilience is actually a thing that you need in the, in the tough times. So if you've resilience, you can get through anything. That's going to give you the confidence. So you know, in a way, resilience probably creates confidence. Um, but yeah, we've, you know, if we were going through all these tough times that we've been through, and all we have was confidence, we wouldn't be here today. So it's resilience is crucial. Oh yeah, like uh, we've been through lots of times where confidence, you know, at least on a day-to-day basis has taken a knock, you know, like there are, 
you know, a lot of days, even weeks and months, periods where you're not feeling great about how things are going. Um, and I think one of the things is like being really transparent with your team and getting them, you know, really lined about that. Um, well, that's how, how we've done it at Air Tosca and it's not necessarily the, the only way to do it, but um, yeah, generally we don't want to be putting up a facade and telling them, yeah, no, it's all good. Uh, we want to be explaining to them how we've gone through thought processes um, and, you know, get them to the bottom of, of the story so they can get really aligned. Right. Oh, look, you, you had a magnificent tailwind, and, and you know, congratulations to you in catching it, that the Australian government was looking to develop the export defence industry at the time that you were, I think, two years old. What sort of a difference did that make to your view of the business? I think having government support in the defence industry is critical. One of the, for example, most common things that people ask, and we're fundamentally an export business, we do sell in Australia, but it's a relatively small part of what we do, is, well, what kind of success have you achieved locally? You know, who's, who's buying your products here? Uh, and if they're not, well, why should we buy it overseas if you can't make sales locally? So having that kind of support, both in terms of purchasing our products, but promoting us, supporting us overseas, um, has been critical. The other thing on the confidence and resilience maybe is I find there are two types of confidence. You have the kind of sugary high confidence, the facade, and then you have the real confidence. And I find what happens is over time as you get more experience, uh, the confidence or the resilience morphs into confidence because your confidence is due to the experience you have. Uh, so if you, st you start as resilient and then you eventually become confident and it kind of becomes one because you are confident because you've been resilient in the past and you've kind of seen it all and you, you understand uh, that you know, path forward can be made a number of ways. So gentlemen, can anyone build a startup? I think we're, we're all going to say yes because we're the type of people that believe in achieving. But that implies there's a type of people who can't. Well, that's true. That's true. I think um, you know, it, it probably comes down to your mentality of, and, and, your, and your appetite for, for risk and your appetite for a challenge um, and your belief in the cause. If, if you've got those things aligned, then I think that um, you're, you're a really good candidate to be, and I, I don't like the word entrepreneur, but you're a really good candidate to be an entrepreneur and start a business. Um, it's, that's, that's the start. Um, and then all of the things we've spoken about around resilience and confidence and the right people, mentorship, um, you have to get all those things and build that slowly. Um, you know, we've we've sort of looked at our business and from the outside, um, it looks like a 10-year overnight success type thing. But um, for the people that have been on the journey, it's been a roller coaster ride um, and incredibly hard and sometimes, and, and sometimes you get a break. Um, but I think you've got to be the right person um, and have the right mindset to want to start a business. Okay, what's your view too? I think everyone can start a startup, but right, it's probably, possible. It is possible. Right. I don't think everyone should start a startup. Um, I think what sort of attributes should they work on? Well, I, I wasn't actually talking about necessarily attributes. It's okay. more kind of like what that person wants to experience. I mean, right. um, starting a startup probably drains eight years, eight good years of your <laughs> of your life. They're going to be dedicated to that thing, and right. um, there are a lot of other a lot of people who'd be you know, probably getting more pleasure out of life, experiencing more things, doing doing things another way. I think there's also really great people who can like join companies and contribute even more so um, in that way. For example, you know, um, at Airtasker at the beginning, we weren't focused on like people management and, you know, um, managing a, a large organization. Um, now we do need those people to come in and people who have the, the skills to be able to do that. Um, I think it would be a waste for those people to be off, you know, um, starting their own um, startup when they contribute right. more to us. Right. Ollie? 
You know, I really hate how in today's world we have this culture that worships entrepreneurship in a sense that it's believed that that's something that everybody should aspire to and it's something that is way better than working for a large company or a small business. I think entrepreneurship and building your own business is certainly not for everybody. A bit like Tim said, I think for a lot of people, probably most people out there, uh, they'll get more happiness just working in a normal job. There's nothing wrong with a normal job. Um, having other passions in life, raising children, having hobbies, traveling, um, and living their life that way. Um, I, I think saying to people that balanced life is wrong and everybody should be focused on entrepreneurship is, is simply wrong. Uh, so we've decided to make the sacrifice. It's neither good or bad. It's just the path that we've all taken. But that's that's not the recipe for happiness for everybody. Okay. So that sort of leads into my next question for you, Oli. Does intuition serve you in building your business or is it something you need to put to one side? I think intuition is a result of experience that you've achieved to now. Um, I, I think intuition, again, is a bit of a bad word often because there are a lot of organizational psychologists who would tell you just brush away intuition, replace everything with processes, whether it's interviewing candidates, whether it's making business decisions, and, and there's a the rigid or, or, or prescribed path instead of intuition every time. I think there's certainly a lot of room for having decision-making processes that you cannot quantify on a piece of paper that link back to the experience that you've you've had before uh, and drawing parallels on things you've had before. Um, I mean, a lot of it is just trying a whole lot of stuff and you kind of refine processes as, as, as things get better. Okay. Yeah, I think intuition probably you want to be using less and less um, over time, like as the company um, builds. Um, yeah, there's certainly times where there is an element of experience that you've had before that can kind of lead you to make a decision. And there are definitely a lot of like captain's calls that I think have to be made from time to time, not necessarily just the CEO, but different people um, in the organization need to make bold decisions. Um, but generally, I think that um, a lot of early startup uh, founders are probably using their intuition a little bit too much and, you know, would probably be really useful for them to just stop just even if it's five minutes stop write it down <laughs> right. and just kind of assess is this a good idea or not and it's not over the top but we've definitely got a a really strong writing culture at Airtasker now because we want people to actually stop think about it and not just like powerpoint presentation with three bullet points and a picture of a cat we're actually like no can you actually explain what you really mean by that because, <laughs> because um you know a lot of the things especially in um in technology companies a lot of the decisions you make are really highly leveraged. Oh. You know, if you make one decision and it goes and affects a million people, like that tiny little decision was actually a really big decision um, and you probably should have put some effort into it. Right. Did intuition play a big role in your early I think like Tim just said, um, you know, gut feel or intuition, there's a time and place for that. Right. Particularly when you're starting a business, you don't have necessarily access to all the data points, all the pieces of information you need. Um, so you're forced into a situation of sometimes making quick calls, intuition, gut feel calls. Um, for our business, we, we're now in a position where we, we have much more data access. We have um, scan data results, switching data, so we can, we can paint a really um, factual and intelligent story about which way we think the trends are going to go. Um, which way the trends are going rather than which way we think the trends are going to go. So it's, it's, um, it's probably a function of uh, 
experience and and availability of the right data sets and different things. But I agree, as you get bigger and you, there's more people relying on the decisions you're making, you've got to use um, data and um, you know processes more than gut feeling intuition. Okay. Um, you've all spoken about the importance of having a good team around you, but in, in your two cases, there's actually strong partnerships at the heart of your businesses. How important is that personal support out of uh, a relationship that's both work and friendship based? Uh, yeah, I've been clear. Um, I think a business partnership is probably as hard as a marriage because you're not getting any of the benefits. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's um, you're spending maybe more time with each other. Um, you're making more under pressure decisions. Um, but you know, the 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 really I guess big benefit of having a strong partnership is um, you've got if you choose the right person, you've got um, skill sets that are contrasting to yours and complementary to yours. Um, and it's really, really important to have a to have a really varied opinion and skill set in the business at that um, upper level, at the at the highest level of the business. Um, but also the support. When you go you're not alone going through these hard times by yourself you've got you get someone to talk to you've got an ear you've got a sounding board um you've got a shoulder to cry on you've got all those things if you need them whereas uh you know i'm i'm not 100 i know that my business would not be as, as successful without my business partner right. so. yeah for me um so jono was uh, part of the first uh, few years of air tasker the first half and you know due to personal circumstances had to move overseas and you know went on a new journey um for that and has been you know um, part of the story um uh, in the early days uh for me it was yeah really really good to have um uh, a co-founder um someone that you could just talk to and um shares the same problems with you i think it's very much an emotional thing as much as anything um at the same time, um, you know, we've survived when, when Jono decided to go move on and do other things. We, we've definitely survived. But there have been times where you do feel quite alone as the, you know, the sole founder of the company. And you've got even the executives that you have on, on the team. We've kind of we've even come out and been really transparent about it. The um, incentives are different, right? Like if you're an executive and you come in and you've got options in a company, you're going for 10x, you know, um, whereas if you're a founder and you've built something, you're on the other side kind of going, well, I kind of don't want to blow up the thing that I've built. So maybe I'm happy with 6x, but, you know, um, with with a higher chance of survival of, of not going to zero. So, um, you know, it's, 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 it's different. And, and I guess as the company evolves, you've got to you've got to go with whichever, whatever you get served. Mm-hmm. Oleg, have mentors played um, a large role in your journey? Mentors certainly played a huge role in my journey. So I didn't have a partner in the way the other guys did, which worked out really well for them. But I have certainly known a lot of cases where uh, the partners were the biggest issue in the business and they were fighting with each other and that actually was hindering the business. So in my case, I was quite fortunate to have uh, who used or fund who in New York who used to be our largest shareholder for a long time. They no longer are. Um, to be uh, effectively my mentor and, and uh, guiding me through through a lot of things as well. So that certainly helps. And then eventually you tend to outgrow your mentors, if I would say that, and, and uh, you know, you're closer to the cold face of the business and the issues you're seeing are potential issues that they may not have, they may not have experienced themselves and then you just kind of continue to, to grow. I think in life, um, over time, you, you, know, you, you go and find other mentors, uh, but there's always somebody... Um, I think what you find is if it's just you, uh, you kind of often go into that infinite loop, which just spins faster and faster. So other people can often be circuit breakers. Right. 
Right. Did mentors play a role in your part? Sounds like yeah, you guys huge, set yeah. out on your way. Yeah, as mentioned before, Peter Barron was, was one of our original mentors, but um, we also put an advisory board in place um, and they were filled with some some really, really inspirational people. Um, Paul Zara, ex-CEO of David Jones. Uh, Phil Baldock was the CEO of Jim Bean, Australasia. Um, John Bacon's in there as well. So some, some people that have, um, you know, some slightly different industries as well, but... They've they've sat in the positions we're sitting in. They've been CEOs. They've they've had to make these hard decisions we're talking about, um, and they're really intelligent. They can they can, you know, once again as kind of a co-founder does, they can all but also be used as a sounding board, um, and a really big support. They're helping you make these decisions at a board level as well. How so, does an advisory board work? Do you pick up the phone when you need to? Is there a formal meeting once every so often? Um, so we in, in our situation we have a monthly advisory board meeting, and we and we treat it. Um, you know, as seriously as a board. So there's a board pack sent out every month. Um, it's, a, it's a formal process, which is minuted. Um, it's, you know, if you really want the most value out of it, you've got to give it the respect to, to treat it um, for what it is. And, you know, it's up to Troy and I as founders of the company to, um, to extract the right information from these really, really intelligent brains that are in the room. Um, but yeah, we, we certainly treat it pretty seriously. Yeah. Tim, was your father your first mentor? Yeah, my, so my dad was definitely a big influence um, on me, um, certainly in terms of like thinking big and um, I guess the resilience uh, factor, I think he contributed to that. Right. Um, in terms of the um, of my mentorship journey, um, so I mentioned um, I started out working like in a modeling, a fashion modeling agency. And so the, the owner of that business, a guy named Peter O'Connell, was... Um, was you know one of the founding directors of Optus um, in Australia and things like that. So that was um, that was great to I guess get that business um, experience. Um, and then at Airtask we've had great people like uh, James Bensley who is uh, one of the founders of Focus um, Telecommunications, which is you know multi billion dollar um, startup. Um, and then um, more recently we've brought on board um, Mina Ratakrishnan who was. Um, the first uh, product manager at Uber. So I sort of saw that go from zero to 6,000 employees and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue. So um, yeah, definitely learning um, as we go and picking up bits of experience from different people. So what does disruption mean to you? It's doing things which have by definition not been done before in usually a way that people have not even imagined um, until recently. Maybe that's kind of a, uh, a, a textbook, textbook way to explain it. So we're a bit unique in that, as you said, we're disrupting the disruptors. So you think of drones and haven't even really existed 10 years ago, just started five years ago. Now they're an amazing technology. I think what we're seeing now is the very start of it. So we're going to be seeing already are drones that swim underwater, drones that crawl on the ground, drones which are controlled in swarms by cellular technology. So we're very much at the dawn of it. So we're at the other side of the process, basically looking at that and saying, well, you have all the negative applications of that, and that is doing the disruption. So how do we disrupt that being used for negative purposes? So often we look at technology technologies that have been originally developed for something else and adopt them for being used against drones. Think about drone shield and this is the hard thing for every one of our engineers is we cut across 
a whole lot of different sciences. So most companies you find people who deal with radars are different people who deal with radio frequency, the jammers, the acoustics, the cameras. We basically have to sweep through the whole range of disciplines to basically achieve that um, that outcome. So it's being, what does disruption mean? It's, it's being open-minded, it's being broadly skilled. Yes, uh, we have some deep experts, but fundamentally each of our engineers is pretty broad in terms of what they can do and kind of think about life in a, in a broad sense and just kind of rolling with the punches as new things come. Yeah, I think, um, definitely I think Oleg's is, is, I couldn't agree more. Disruption is about doing things differently. Um, when we look at our industry, if we take a look at the definition of madness, it's doing the same thing and expecting a different um, outcome. You know, as as um, Aussies and, and globally, we've been drinking um, high sugar drinks and artificially sweetened drinks for a very long time. Um, and for me, that's absolute madness. So we had to do something different. We had to disrupt um, to really, you know, get rid of the, or have an impact on the diabetes and obesity, which was, which, you know, for us was, the result of being, it was the madness. So, um, you know, absolutely being a disruptor is about doing things differently, um, having an impact, um, thinking differently and, and, and doing things in my view in the right way. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, disruption is breaking the inertia, you know, the way things are being done now. And uh, one of the hard things about doing disruption is that um, there's probably a reason why that inertia has formed. And so in order to disrupt and get people to do things a different way, you kind of got to be 10x better than, than what's existing already out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for, for us, that means constantly iterating on the product and constantly iterating on the experience to stay you know 10x better than and the alternate. Okay. Last question, gentlemen, and I'll come to each of you in turn, but we'll start with you, Tim. At some stage in the future, and that'll be a different time for each of you, one of your children comes to you and she says, Dad, I've got this great idea and I want to start up my own business. What would you say to her? Um, don't do it. <laughs> um, and I think that I actually would probably say something along those lines um, initially. Um, we talked a little bit about resilience. Um, one of the things about starting a business and why I think not everyone should just go in and, and start a business is because you do have to really want to go and do it. You do have to be able to like push through walls. Um, and so you don't want to make it that easy for people to go and do this. If it was just you know, like put on a plate, yeah, start a business and go, um, you're probably not going to make it too far. So I think um, putting up a couple of walls and making it kind of tough oh, would probably be uh, the way to go. Help her find that resilience exactly. before she gets too yeah, far down get the badass. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Holly? Uh, with the same question, I agree with Tim. I think to a lot of people, entrepreneurship is getting a desk at WeWork and kind of, you know, putting around on Instagram all day, which, uh, which, which is not really what we're talking about here. So, so I think so long as a person understands what it's for, so long as they have a team around them uh, or at least a partner um, and, and the idea sounds half credible, possibly. I think there's a lot to be said for at least having potentially some kind of uh, background if you can uh, like for example one of the things that some of us have here is that sort of large institutional background so you kind of understand how business works too um, I think a lot of it is just starting young with low opportunity cost I think when when you know you are getting on in life it's it's just much harder I mean yes it's possible to be a serial entrepreneur but you know if you've been uh, an office worker and you are now in your 50s and you never done anything outside of your cubicle and you're saying right I want to be an entrepreneur um, unless you have some particular advantages be it uh, funders partners uh, unique 
angles into the market, um, just kind of going for it and becoming a social media influencer and growing from there, I think is a tough way to go. Okay, thank you, Ollie. Wrap um, it up for us, mate. Yeah, what I think you say to us? This is, um, this is a scenario I have faced, not with my daughter, but with family and friends. And I think we probably all have at certain points in time. Um, the result of what I did say was, um, you know, outlaid how difficult it is and, and really understand this is not a walk in the park. This is 10 years of um, putting your life on absolute hold and putting everything into it. Um, the result of that each time has been probably me subconsciously saying, don't do it. Um, but, you know, I think that there's a lot to go by that because when they do come back a second time or a third time and they, and they do go after that idea, they're much more likely to be successful than if they think it's just an easy thing to do because they've seen um, someone in their life do it and, and to date be successful. So I think... Um, if my daughter came to me, I would probably uh, outlay the challenges and the and and basically say don't do it. Right. So survivor bias is as important in disruption and startups as it is in markets. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much for your inspiration today. Perfect. Thank Thanks, you. Mike. Thank you. That was Tim Fung, Oleg Vornik, and Drew Bilby speaking to us in Sydney for the last episode of season three of the Artful Trader: Confidence Uncovered.